0: You are listening to What Do You Know, part of the 1830 Podcast Network. Find us easily by searching 1830 Podcast Network directly in the Apple Podcasts app, Google Podcasts app, or the Spotify app. Also visit us at Facebook.com 1830 Podcast Network for more information. And now, what do you know? This is an awkward call, but uh, I hope you're ready. After all Ready our... as I can be. <laughs> so this is this is unique. I'm I'm talking to uh, Ronnie from Honduras, and uh, we're gonna jump right into this. We we have four questions, and I'm gonna ask you. Your first question is: Can you share a testimony of your calling?
1: I can. It's kind of uh, a peculiar thing, I think. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I haven't heard a lot of testimonies in my life to be able to compare them. But I compare it to what the few that I have heard. I actually had a testimony to my calling before I was actually baptized in the church, and the reality of it was, I was uh, I was pretty young still and got off work working with my, my parents on uh, we raised uh, pickles or cucumbers actually for pickles. And got off work about uh, two, three a.m. in the morning. Was walking down the road, puzzling about my own life because I felt like I felt like I didn't have any purpose. I felt like you know I had sin in my life and I couldn't get rid of it, even though I know I, I knew I needed to get rid of it. And I was actually contemplating uh, you know a lot of bad things in my life. And as I was walking, at one point you know I just felt like. Maybe I needed to pray. My parents had taught me how to pray and whatnot, but I haven't, I didn't really pray in my life because up till that point, I kind of felt more like prayer was talking to an inanimate object, a wall. And I just felt like, you know, at that moment, I needed to pray. And if there was a real God in this world that he would answer my prayer. And, uh, you know, uh, just a little piece of a sermon had come to me while I was walking there. And at the time, I didn't remember who preached it. I didn't even remember what the passage was or anything. Later on, I remembered it was from uh, Forrest Maley. He was the one who had preached it. And he was preaching out of uh, James, where it says, if anyone have, uh, you know, questions, you can go to God. And as long as you ask him dearly, he'll answer. And so that's what I did. And I poured out my heart, confessed basically uh, my sins before God and asked him to help me because my life i viewed it it was in ruins and uh that was the first time i ever really heard and understood something that tom Maley had told me which was that god can talk to you in an audible voice just like we're talking with each other and i I just kind of never really believed him until that moment but at that moment a voice came to me and said you can't do it alone you need baptism you need the Holy Spirit. You need the, imp- the laying on of hands. And uh, then that voice went on to tell me that one day I would be called and I would be taking the gospel back to uh, the indigenous people, the, the people of the Book of Mormon. And uh, basically, I went home right away. It was, uh, like I said, about 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, our pastor there in Minnesota at the time was Merlin Eddy. Uh, rang him up at that early hour he was sleeping he had to work the following uh-huh. <laughs> day and uh, i rang him up and said i've got to be baptized this was towards the end of our season probably around october ish and in minnesota a lot of the the lakes and whatnot had begin to freeze over and so it was going to be hard pressed to find a place that was open to have a baptism and Uh, He said, you know, we're probably going to have to look for a swimming pool inside of a building somewhere. I said, you know, I really can't wait that long because he was talking about maybe waiting two or three weeks. He said, well, if you don't mind the cold, we'll go out to whatever lake we can find open and do the baptism. And we did. And that changed my life. And uh, so I kind of carried that. One of the things that the voice had told me at that time was that I would have to give my life completely uh, to God before I was 30. Uh, Say that again. At the time, I didn't really understand that. Go back and say Uh, that part again. Okay. One of the things that the voice had told me at that time is I would have to give my life completely to God, to his work, before I was 30 years old. And I didn't really understand it at that time. Uh, My own understanding in a human way was that I was going to die before I was 30. And so my calling obviously would come wait for then, and I would be preaching the gospel and probably die preaching the gospel I didn't really understand. Um, But as it came, um, I was actually 29 years old, really frustrated, living in Honduras, not called, and beginning to wonder why the calling hadn't ever come. And uh, it was uh, in my 29th year, April, uh, of course in our church you know that uh, the apostles get together before the April conference. And it was right at that time, I'm about 29 and a half years old at that point, uh, frustrated because it doesn't seem like God's answering his prayer when uh, I get a message from Brother Alvin Moser asking me if I have a testimony to a calling. And, of course, he lets me know that in the apostles' meeting there had been a calling for me to be an elder. And uh, that's that's basically how it
0: rolled. So all this time you're thinking— I'm going to, I'm not going to be on this earth by the time I'm 30. And that's a lot of faith you had to be rolling with up until 29 and a half years old.
1: Well, I was losing a lot of faith. And of course, every day I got closer to that 30th birthday. I'm like, you know, what's the point to being called now if I'm going to die before I'm 30? But the reality of it is it all worked out. So basically I was called and ordained just before I was 30 and basically since that day forward I've dedicated uh my life to the spreading of the gospel.
0: Yes. And that's amazing that's amazing testimony before you were even baptized. I I also know Merlinetti pretty good and and I've I've called on him late at, late at night I guess or at least at uh, awkward hours. He's always been uh very receptive and helpful for for many people. But uh, I, I I love that I love that uh, background there, when when you're going through this, that's a lot to lay on somebody, and and it seems right. I'm making a comparison right at the beginning to, uh, I believe Joseph Smith had a very similar experience about the the verse that he came to his mind, and the the tr- the test of of the spirit that he went through, and to go and ask God. So uh, I I don't know. I'm, I'm struck by that.
1: Yeah. It was a lot to uh, take in at the time, but again, in in my own life, I was struggling with a lot of personal problems and looking for answers. And, uh, you know, even though I didn't comprehend everything that was going to happen, it gave me some answers. And, of course, when I was baptized and I did receive the Holy Spirit, that effectively changed my life drastically and set me on a different course that brought me to where I I am today.
0: And you are down in Honduras. When, when when, you made that decision, this is before you were called now, you've been down there quite a while.
1: We've been down here about 22, going on, I think, right around 22, 23 years. It was 1998, I believe, when we moved down here. Uh, not too long before Hurricane Mitch hit.
0: And uh, have you seen or noticed, I'm curious, just kind of how your life has has gone through this you you've kind of you had this knowledge that this is where where you had to go and you just kind of folded up uh folded up your your future there in america to to pursue this to do what what god has called you to do i commend you for that i i uh i i know you're a very talented and smart individual and you could have a very different life up here in the states and i i um I don't know. I don't know if I could make that same decision. And I just I'm I'm amazed that that uh, what it would take to to do that and, and to get someone to hang up that kind of um, lifestyle in America to go and pursue. And, and maybe it's not as bad. I've never been down to Honduras, but I've got visions of uh, trucks that don't run correctly and very steep cliffs and lots of playing in the mud where you're at. <laughs>
1: Well, there's some of that. If you were to drive out in the outskirts of Missouri or many different places in the states, you would find it's not much different than it is here. Uh, and it's not nearly as dangerous as people make it out to be.
0: Okay. I mean, we got
1: electricity. We got running water. We got flushing
0: toilets. What more do you want? <laughs> okay. I, I get, You know what? You checked a lot of boxes right there, so we're good. <laughs> Um, so uh, let's go on to question two Um, how long and how much do you prepare for a typical sermon and how many sermons have you preached
1: well you know that's that's actually a pretty difficult question because you know I've been uh, I've been preaching now for Basically, since I'm 30, today's my birthday, just under 20 years, about uh, 17, 18 years preaching. And I can tell you in the beginning when I started preaching, I probably didn't prepare more than a couple hours at best. But anymore in uh, this time of my life, I can spend anywhere from 8 to 24 working hours preparing a sermon. And so, you know, when you're going to prepare eight to 24 hours, that might not all be in one shot one day. But that's the hours that I'm putting into studying, finding information, data to back up maybe some of the thoughts that I have, bringing it all together to create uh, whatever it is I'm about to present. And uh, basically, in general, right now in my life here in Honduras, I'm preaching three to five days out of a week. And so I'm preparing, you know, you, you do the math there, typically closer to five days, but it, it's a little bit variable. Um, but I would say in between three to five days a week, 365 days out of a year. And so you can add that up. It it, it adds up to a lot of sermons really fast. But of right. course, a lot of those sermons, I'm writing up a sermon and I'm probably going a dozen different places and presenting the same sermon. Even though it's the same, it's going to be slightly different, but basically it's the same information I'm I'm presenting. So distinct sermons, probably not as many, but it's still a lot of sermons.
0: I'm going to back up a little bit. It's your birthday? I it sure you. is. So, so it's your I'm I'm, I'm honored and happy I'm birthday. Here. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this is just what you wanted Thank to you. be doing, right? Yeah. I'm All right. Old. Uh this is a first. We have a uh first for, for me and and, and I I am thrilled. I'm I'm ecstatic and uh have everybody wish Ronnie a happy birthday when you get a chance. Now you're gonna be gonna be immortalized and everyone will know your birthday that here's this podcast and they're gonna get a chuckle out of that. There you go. All right, so the third that's question good. What do your scriptures look like?
1: Well, and and you know that's <laughs> I got a funny story to tell you about this. When we first moved down here to Honduras, of course, I never took any Spanish classes. And uh, so when we first moved down here, I had one of those really big hiking backpacks, the kind, you know, that the people use for hiking across the whole United States with all of their living possessions. And I had all my English books in it, I had my Spanish books in it, I had my uh, dictionaries, I had my Concordances and all of these huge books, and the backpack probably weighed in somewhere between sixty and eighty pounds. Yeah, (laughs) and we had a brother down here asked me, asked me to hike up into the mountains and visit some people. And of course, he's hiked the mountains all of his life. And uh, you know, he said this is just a short hike, no problem. This brother asked me to go up in the mountains, anything, and he said this. This is just a short distance, so I threw the backpack on my uh, back, and we hiked up there. I kid you not, this was a two-hour hike through mountains, trails. And when I arrived at our destination, I just fell on the ground, and I couldn't even talk. At that time, I did not drink a double-strength coffee. And I didn't even have drink to say I don't drink coffee. I couldn't. I couldn't turn it down. But they made the queen. It did revive me, and I did survive. And I was a little bit worried because the following day we had to hike back out of there after having a meeting. But that was the first thing that taught me a valuable lesson. And so there's two things that have changed in my life. I used to have, and, and I still do have scriptures with lines and underlines and highlights and notes in the margins and circles all over the place uh, and, and, and literally just full of everything pieces of paper with notes on them you name it but one of the things that I learned and uh, this I also learned because one time we were traveling my father and I up to Mexico on bus and my scriptures were stolen and all of those notes were stolen and that was devastating because I have a hard time remembering things but between those two events uh, anymore I don't write anything in my scriptures, and all I carry with me basically is a Kindle, just a simple black and white Kindle that has my Bible and the Book of Mormon, English and Spanish. It's light; I can carry it in my pocket. It does not weigh eighty pounds, and right, I can hike right, anywhere.
0: Right. Oh man, that's that's. Uh, first off, you went to Honduras not knowing Spanish. Yeah, that's a little bit crazy. Again, I don't know what would make somebody do that. And you are definitely cut from a different uh, piece of material than the rest of us. And second of all, uh, I love the idea of ditching the scriptures for the Kindle. Uh, this is the new, uh, world, I guess. And, and, and you know, it used to be, it was all on scrolls and then we shifted to books and now we're on Kindles and, and what it was it used to be floppy disk. Now we're grabbing it off the internet. So, uh, absolutely let's let's join the the next century and 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 I'm sure there's people rolling their eyes right now, but uh I can get on board with that real easy <laughs> and
1: with that I would love it if uh you know Amazon or one of them would come up with a Kindle that had really easy ability for doing marginal notes and stuff because I'd take notes again, I do like having notes. I do have a difficulty with remember stuff, yeah, but uh, at the moment. No notes.
0: Right, right, right. But then you can you're just making files. You're making sermons, or I don't know sermons, but but studies, and you're you're logging them that way. I mean, that's it still works. But so let's roll into uh, your ten verses yep. that you've prepared. I'm gonna stop commenting so much, and 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 maybe I will a little bit if something really strikes me. But I try to let you marinate and try to let you. Uh, uh, go through your thoughts and and share your stories on your, on your verses with us and, and let you uh, take it from here. All right. Uh, When it comes
1: down to this, maybe I'd like to, if possible, kind of run a little bit different. I actually don't have a lot of favorite verses, uh, but I do have one that to me is an all time most important. And then uh, I have a, a short chapter in it that, Actually, have has a bunch of. Ronnie, let's my start favorite. that section over again. Okay. Um, I don't have a lot of favorite scriptures. I do have one that I would like to share that to me is probably the most important to me, and it's probably the one that I speak about the most in all of my uh, studies. Uh, but then I'd like to read just one small. A chapter out of a book I wrote on uh, the life of Ruth, which has a lot of favorite scriptures in it and also understanding behind them. But my favorite scripture, you know, if the one I use the most is Hebrews 13.8. And, and I feel like w- when we can fully comprehend what this is saying, this answers so many of the perfect. Perplexing problems and questions that we have as believers in general. And of course, one that, you know, I tell people here if you can't memorize anything, memorize this one. This will help you in life. Hebrews 13, 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to me, in this one little simple verse, it it just it takes care of all the problems that, that so many people have I think when it comes down to the scriptures and different even doctrinal ideas. Uh, too often people read the scriptures and they find uh, contradictions in their own heart and I think if we really understood this one verse it would take care of a lot of those contradictions that we see That's just my thought on that verse anyway
0: well, yeah, it's a pretty uh, easy. And like I said,
1: it's, it's one that I use basically everywhere we go. Certainly. Now, as to the other ones, like I said, I'd like to just read a short chapter out of a book I, I wrote. The, the name of this book is called The Princess That Was, Wasn't, and Would Be. And this is just a really short chapter, but it has in it, to me, some of my favorite Scripture verses in a real-life setting. And the name of this chapter is The Making of a Real Princess. And, and like I said, this book is about Ruth, the Ruth of our Bible. And so I'll just start into this. Uh, according to the wisdom of the world, some of the qualities that make up a real princess are these. Number one, improve your grammar. Two, improve your posture. Three, make yourself smarter. Four, work on being a kinder human being. Five, practice humility. Six, practice good manners. Seven, always be polite. Eight, work on your food etiquette. And nine, take proper care of your body. As I read through and think about each one of these, I think about how close to the truth the world comes. Many of these points have to do with how we interact with others. And the rest have to do with keeping ourselves healthy so that we might communicate better with others. Because in reality, one of the most significant qualities in being a real princess, prince, king, or queen is our ability to sacrifice what we want in the service of others. This quality can be excruciatingly painful at times, but a real princess will rise to the occasion. Paul wrote it this way in Corinthians, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. "...is not puffed up, up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things." As we go through these qualities, we can see the many similarities there are to what the world sees as appropriate qualities in a princess. It's all about sacrifice for God so loved the world that he gave." And that's one of my favorites. When we look at Ruth, we can see in so many ways that she's the perfect embodiment of these character traits. When she'd lost everything important, her husband was dead, her bank accounts empty. When the question was asked, will you turn back or will you sacrifice the little you have left? Will you sacrifice your very own life? Ruth steps up and proves that she is in every way a princess. She tells her mother-in-law that she will go with her, in poverty, in hunger, in death. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for friends. This verse perfectly describes Ruth. How absolutely stunningly beautiful. When Ruth and Naomi return to Israel, Ruth immediately goes out to work in the fields. What an unfathomable decision. The contrast is the rich young man who went to Jesus and asked what he lacked to enter the kingdom. But Jesus' response was, give it all up. The scriptures say, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. How we act in adversity tells so much more about our character than thousands of words ever can. We look at the test placed for the young man and think God was testing his heart. He wanted to know what the young man was made of. But the reality of it is God already knows our heart. What he wants is for us to know our own heart. The rich young ruler had deceived himself into thinking he was ready when he was not. He couldn't give it all up. In the heat of the moment, he faltered. He stumbled. But Ruth did not falter. Even though she came from a rich and good life, she does not let this hold her back from being the person God knows she can be. Ruth shines where the rich young man did not. Ruth had every reason to rebel, to stomp around crying, yet she doesn't. Ruth takes a look at her circumstances, lifts her head high, and sticks to her decision to stay with her mother-in-law, knowing full well that Naomi will not be able to provide for herself. Her mother-in-law had also lost everything she had. Neither Ruth nor her mother-in-law would be be able to just go out and get a job. She knew that her mother-in-law's care would fall into her hands. Most of her life she had been training to be a queen, but now she was to be the lowliest, lowliest of servants collecting the fallen grain off the ground behind the reapers, begging. Her entire future would be in the hands of others and their charity or lack thereof. Jesus said, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. It has been said that under dress or trial, our true colors will shine forth. Well, this is unquestionably the case for Ruth. She shines forth with the most brilliant of hues. A king could not ask for a better bride. Is Ruth perfect? Most assuredly not. Does Ruth ever make mistakes? Most likely. But what is essential and what God is looking for in us is where we're going and who ultimately is most important to us. A king needs an equal in a queen. It's written in the Targum, which is the Hebrew scriptures, that when Ruth went to Boaz looking for his grace, Boaz is quoted as a saying, Now, my daughter, do not fear. All that you say to me I will do for you for it is known before all who sit at the gate of the great Sanhedrin of my people that you are a righteous woman and there is in you strength to bear the yoke of the commandments of the Lord what an incredible personal testimony Boaz noticed Ruth's choices her decisions to be a servant and a beggar to take care of her mother-in-law in this Boaz sees his equal not in stature or status in Israel though Ruth surely had both stature and status when she still lived in Moab. But instead, Boaz sees someone who, like himself, is willing to sacrifice all because she has a love for those around her. It's a match made in heaven. These are the choices we make, just as Ruth did, when we choose to follow Jesus Christ and become the promised bride of the King of Kings of all the earth. Every day, we put our wedding garments. Revelations tells us and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the Saints Can you see it? Ruth every day was putting on her wedding garments This effort is what caught Boaz's attention and it's what catches the attention of our king of kings as well I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. As the world decks itself with things that do not have lasting value, value, the bride of Christ is decked with that which is of eternal value. And I just think that in that, all those scripture verses have such a profound statement when put together about who and what we need to be as believers. So, I don't know that there was quite ten there, but that was close.
0: <laughs> no, that's great um the story of ruth uh is is powerful there's a lot more under the surface to be gleaned there absolutely if if that's maybe the the teaser, I think I can leave it with that and i I would encourage people to uh pursue and and i know you have a study on ruth and and there is resource there are resources out there that you put out that uh, i know i've enjoyed i don't know what more to add to that well all i can say is
1: you know when when i look at your questions one of the things that you brought up that i think it's probably valid and important to just mention you talked about prophecy And I would say probably right now in our history, in our time, two of the most important parts of Scripture that I recommend people to read are the book of Zechariah, the whole thing. I think that it is prophetic about Israel, but I think it's also a parallel prophetic to us right now in our time. And with that, I would say the very first six chapters of Isaiah. Uh, There's a couple different prophecies in Scripture that talk about uh, a shaking, which is to come. In the Scripture, it talks about a shaking that's to come. And uh, I feel like it, in, uh, um, in the Scriptures, uh, there are passages that tell us that there will be a shaking like the shaking, the earthquake that happened during the time of King Uzziah in the Old Testament. And it tells us in the Old Testament that the, the prophetical side is in Isaiah, And, of course, the first six chapters of Isaiah give us that prophetical period of time for King Uzziah. And uh, I think that that's important for us to read because in Revelation chapter 16, towards the very end of it, when we're getting really close to Christ's coming, it talks about a shaking again. And I think we are in that pocket of time where we're about to see a shaking. And we can see that play out in the book of Zechariah and in those first six chapters of Isaiah. And I think those are really critical for us to read and begin to understand. I think Zechariah, starting with chapter 1, is, has happened, is happening. And you can probably just read it basically from chapter 1 to chapter 14. Of course, for those who have read Zechariah, you know that in chapter 14, Christ comes and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. And so I basically look at that as a lineal timeline of the things that we are living through and seeing before our very eyes. And of course, in in Zachariah, it also talks about that shaking. And so I I think there's a lot of exciting things before us. I have a great hope. And uh, the future really gives me a whole lot of excitement because I see so many wonderful things uh, uh, about to change and happen. That will make this world so much better. And I just have a lot of hope for it.
0: You know, a lot, I love that sentiment because when you read uh, Revelations, uh, I think the rest of the world reads it and panics. The rest of the world reads about all this uh, uh, terrible, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know, uh, foreboding events, and they panic. And Apocalypse. I, I, Yes, yes, yes. And so I've actually said, hey, if that intimidates you, just switch to the Book of Mormon. And I've encouraged people in my studies, If just go to the Book of Mormon. It's the same story, same prophecies there, but it's much happier. It's much more of a promise in the Book of Mormon. Now you're saying go to Isaiah and Zechariah and read the same time frame in these books. and I And I appreciate the hope yes. that is within you. I've heard uh, our brother Bob uh, explain it, that if you, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this wrong, but if you look at Revelation or, or the time that we're living in and you think Satan is doing all this terrible stuff to the earth, you're looking at it the wrong way. God is shaking the earth. God is shaking the earth and doing all this quote unquote terrible stuff because he's trying to wake us up. And trying to take people who are, who are living in, in, you know, uh, um, I'm going to say living in sin and who are who need to be shaken up to be shaken out of the the hands that they are the chains that are on them. And we're trying to break loose of those uh, chain, chains of sin and of uh, a lack or uh, no dependence on God whatsoever. They think they can do it alone. That's a lot of editorializing for me, but I appreciate the hopeful sentiment you're presenting.
1: Yeah. I look at it a lot like, you know, in the old days when they would take the rugs out and hang them uh, from the line and then beat the rugs to get the dirt out of them. And, you know, there is a shaking coming, but the purpose isn't to destroy or tear down. The the purpose is to clean up. Imagine a world, you know, where it says in the, the book of Revelations, Christ comes and dries up the tears where there's no more sorrow and sadness. I mean that's a world to look forward to, but unless you beat the dirt out, you can't get there.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I don't have much to add. I think this was a great uh, podcast. I, I thank you for your time. If you have anything else you want to throw out there, we're glad. I'm glad to have you on, and I appreciate your comments tonight.
1: No, I'm just glad to. I'm just glad to be on here and have the opportunity to chat with you. And for the people that'll listen, you know, uh, I would just say. Uh, Don't fear. Don't be scared. God's in control. Uh, You know, remember, he loves you more than even you love yourself.
0: There you go. So that is uh, What Do You Know with Ronnie Gill. Thank you for answering the call, and thank you for being a part of the podcast. It's wonderful. God bless.
1: For my
0: yoke